0: welcome to the probate realtor show your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan let us help you make the right decision for your clients your family and your legacy and now Here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matias Baker-Mazzucci. Welcome everybody to another
1: very exciting episode of our show. Today we are talking to Tamiel Holloway. Tamiel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tamiel is an estate planning attorney that does estate planning and litigation as well. And what we're going to be talking about today, it's a very important subject, which is inheritance disputes. Uh, so, Tamiel, the first thing that I want to do for our audience is, let's define it. What are inheritance disputes?
2: <laughs> well, I would say inheritance dispute is, you know, after someone unfortunately passes the will be trust and the beneficiaries or the actual beneficiaries are not in agreement. That makes total tribute sense. Tribute.
1: Great, thank you for doing that so my my first question is, what are some of the in your experience what are some of the common triggers that generally lead to inheritance disputes?
2: Uh, I would say um, oftentimes children that are omitted um, or sometimes partners that are omitted, unfortunately undue influence by caretakers mm-hmm. or undue influence by you know much younger partners or what we call interlopers, people who maybe weren't traditionally or historically in the line of inheritance are suddenly Mm -hmm. claiming a benefit or have uh, actual named benefit. And everybody doesn't agree.
1: Right. True. And um, how can uh, somebody proactively um, sort of prevent, you know, these disputes from happening? So you have seen it, you have the fortune that, you know, by doing the planning, you also then get to see when the planning goes wrong. So when you're doing the planning, how are you advising your client and telling them, look, these are some of the things you got to keep in mind when you're doing your planning because you don't want your family to be fighting, even though they may do it anyway, over your money when you're dead.
2: (laughs) I I would say like the The best thing you could do is probably name all the potential heirs. I mean, really get it out on the table with your estate planner. Who is it that you'd like to have inherit? Who is it that you wouldn't like to have inherit? You probably should share the why, even if it's a little embarrassing, because the more context you give your estate planner, the better they can help you strategize Mm -hmm. as to how to leave things and prevent disputes. Uh, I would say name all spouses, all partners, get it all out on the table and name everyone. It's very clear who should have been included, who shouldn't have been included. If there are even any... Children, for example, stepkids, uh, nieces and nephews that you raise as your own, anyone who maybe even thinks that they're adopted, get it out on the table so that it can be addressed. I would also make, say uh, if you have. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I say that makes total sense. Yes, please continue.
2: I was going to say also, if you have like a, a, a partner, I, I meet a lot of elderly people that aren't interested in sharing um that they have a partner with their kids. They're afraid it's gonna to lead to like disputes or conflicts before they uh-huh. even pass away. So, you know, consider maybe like some uh, alternatives that might be like a little outside the box. I've I've seen adult adoptions. I've seen, um, you know, secret domestic partnerships. There are ways that you can maybe put people in the line of inheritance that will kind of like cut down on disputes later without upsetting the status quo before you die.
1: That makes total sense. Oh, very nice. This is good. I've Adult, adult adoption. Very, very, very well explained. Let me ask you something. Kind of like a, it's kind of like a set, a, a side way here. But you mentioned, you know, put who you want to receive money and who you don't want to receive. Or you receive your inheritance. Now, I've, uh, you know, in my experience, I've seen that, you know, this inheritance often leads to litigation. So what are some of the things it's not it doesn't seem to be that easy you know my son is a drug addict so he's not going to get any of my money but my other son who's amazing he's going to get all the money and these things you know have a tendency to um, trigger litigation so my question i guess is related to disinheritance how can you help somebody you know if they do want to disinherit um you know somebody that you know it would be you know by code entitled to to a portion of the estate what are the strategies to make it sort of like uh, work better <clears throat>
2: Well, oftentimes it's really good to kind of leave that person a nominal or in some cases a not so nominal gift because Mm -hmm. I'm sure most of us are familiar with a no contest clause. You know, you put in there, Jamie, you know, I'm leaving you just enough money to hopefully incentivize you not to problematize this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Try to start litigation because if you lose, you're going to get nothing. So I always tell people like, be realistic about what that gift should be. I know mm-hmm. historically people would say nominal gift, give them a dollar, but a dollar doesn't incentivize anyone not to fight.
1: Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That makes sense. So, you know, uh, that, that is a great strategy. And thank you for sharing that with us. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, it's, you know, generational differences and how, you know, they can impact um uh, you know, litigation, I guess, inheritance dispute, essentially, I mean, you know, families have grandkids and kids, you know, somebody may have the same thing, like I'm thinking of an example, you know, uh, I remember this, uh, I'm originally from Italy, and, and, and in the south of Italy, it was very, very common, especially in my father generation, that ev- everything was left to the male of the family. And the woman didn't, supposedly, you know, the woman inherited what her husband would inherit. So that kind of was the strategy. Obviously, you know, nowadays it's not like that anymore, but it makes me think, you know, when when somebody has grandkids or, you know, like, and they want to make sure that everybody's included, um, how are these, you know, how can, you know, different way of thinking, like, kind of sort of, like, affect the the the, the dispute process?
2: I mean, I guess I would say, like, one thing, I guess, generationally that we're seeing now is I think people are less afraid to start creating trust within their trust right. um, to benefit certain people. Um, and I always tell people to be like really realistic about their family members. I think historically people would say like, well, my old, like you said, my oldest son is probably the person that needs to distribute my estate because that just happens to be my oldest son. And that's the way things are done. But if your oldest son is not good with money, right? maybe, maybe he shouldn't do it. And And it's always okay, I tell people to like, play to people's strengths, you know, divide the job, you know, maybe the oldest son is really good at personal care. So if you have yeah. someone acting as a power of attorney for you before you die, you know, let's, you know, have him do your healthcare directive issues, get you to the doctor's appointments, and maybe have that daughter, you know, yeah. actually take care of the finances. So like dividing the jobs, I feel like it's something people are getting more comfortable with, and creating subtrust. They're like, you know, I'm a millennial, but I understand, you know, my grandparents didn't have the same ideas that I have about money. So I I tell people that generation, if you're concerned that they're not going to spend it the way you think that it should be spent, put it in a trust until they reach the age of majority that you think is going to be appropriate. You know, it's okay to say when you're 25, when you're 30, you can have more access to this money. But if you need to go to college, we'll put this other person in charge of it for now. You know, so I think those are things we're starting to see. Um, also, um, some of the other issues, generationally, I think people are more comfortable with people's sexual orientation. People are more comfortable. You right. don't see so many being overtly disinherited for mm-hmm. lifestyle choices, which is really great. And uh, occasionally, we still do. And you know, as an estate planner, I try to flesh that out with people. Like, let's really get to the bottom of this. <laughs> you know, why are we really saying this? You know, and how do we really feel about this person apart from maybe like one choice or two choices that you feel they make?
1: That makes total sense. Thank you. That's that's actually very good advice, especially, you know, the the you know increment, increments of giving, you know, like when somebody turns 18, if you happen to, you know, to be deceased before your kids, you know, or they stand to inherit, maybe they shouldn't be inheriting all that money right away. Maybe they could get a little bit at 18, some at 25, you know, and, and, and all of that, or 21 or whatever that may be. So yeah. so that's 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 very good. Another question that I wanted to ask you is um how can you know, a successor trustee or a conservatory because you know you work in conservatorship which is you know it's a whole other animal if you will um assure transparency you know to make sure that you know the people um that stand to benefit from um uh you know from the estate do not uh, initiate litigation or, or have questions so how do you advise you know your con your conservator um you know or you know successor trustee or, or personal representatives to um you know make sure that transparency is 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 key so how do they how do you advise they go about that
2: well, you know I always tell people like if you're not well if you're not sure and if you probably didn't go to law school, you should seek counsel right. and let your do the talking for you. I think a Mm -hmm. a big issue that I run into with people in conservatorships or in trust litigation is there's a temptation to start forming like factions and secret alliances with people Mm -hmm. and to make promises, or side deals, and then not understanding the full implications of those things that you're saying. So don't try to solve any potential disputes on your own, I would say. If you want to get ahead of it, there's always mediation. There's always alternative dispute resolution if there needs to be a formal process. But honestly, two attorneys sitting down can work out a lot of issues and we can work through a lot of resolutions. You can be there, you could not be there. Just trust your counsel. Don't try to go it alone. Some of the some it, it backfires often for people.
1: I, I always say this, you know, I remember reading a quote that says, you know, the the attorney who has themselves as a client in court, something's like as a fool for a client or something like that, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I personally, you know, I, I see that in, you know, going pro pair it's in, in, in probate. I always advise against it. Like every time somebody reached out to me and say, Oh, we have to sell, you know, I don't have an attorney. I'm like, Oh boy, you're going to have some issues, you know, try to. <laughs> and all, because I mean, the truth of the matter, the audience got to know, like you have noticed, you have, you have, statutory notices that you have to file and things like that you may not want to worry about those things you have so many things on your on on your mind already why you know and 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 if you fail to comply with the code there are consequences you are not able to take the actions that you want to take so in the end and and you know what in a in a sense it's also i feel the same way about for sale by owner people who try to sell their own real estate especially in los angeles it's just like ah, you know, okay, you know, do what you will, but, you
2: know. (laughs) It could be tough. I mean, tax implications. There's all kinds of things, but I think you're right. Like, don't try to go it alone. And I also tell people, the the settler, the trustor, the person whose estate is in question when they're alive, like, get it out on the table and try Mm -hmm. to work through some of this stuff ahead of time so that everyone's not surprised and you leave a big mess for your trust successor trustee.
1: That makes total sense. Thank you for for explaining that. Um, Let's talk about briefly, because you're a mediator as well, Um, let's talk about alternative uh, resolution and how these things. um, In your experience, uh, have you seen uh, much success? What role does it play alternative uh, dispute resolution in uh, inheritance disputes?
2: It plays a major role in keeping costs down and I would uh-huh. say in maximizing inheritance because the cost of litigation can be staggering. I mean, right. the amount of time it takes for everyone to complete formal discovery um, of one phone call between one attorney and another. I mean, things really start to add up fast. And if you start to take, for example, as a client, take things personally um, and you start bringing your you know, personal childhood conflicts to the attorney, It can get really expensive with the back and the forth and the he said and the she said. I would say Mm -hmm. sitting down, talking to an experienced mediator, um, or um, if there's like some neutral person who can comment, it's just it saves so much and it really helps save relationships. If you can do it early, if you see a conflict coming, if you have have an issue with something, the earlier you guys can sit down and talk about it probably the less likely relationships are going to end up really strange. Because the longer these things drag out, the the harder it is to sit down at the table for the holidays with that person. <laughs> yeah, so
1: <laughs> that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about you because you know I, I as I did my research, I, you know, your bio is, is extremely fascinating. One of the things that wh- where did you grow up, first of all, let me ask you that.
2: I'm actually I'm from Los Angeles. I grew oh. up in Lamar Park. <laughs>
1: Yeah. nice very nice and you in your immediate family there are many attorneys right
2: yes my, my parents met in law school and then wow. you know spread the the idea that everyone should attain i went my brother went i have a sister who's probably gonna go so uh, i think we're gonna keep it going my husband's an attorney oh uh, yeah i spend a, a lot of time with people who are too verbose <laughs>
1: Wonderful. That's a good way to put it. Uh, that's great. Now, let me ask you: How? What was the journey? You know, when you when you went to law school, uh, first of all, did your do your parents practice the same law that you practice, estate planning and litigation?
2: Yes, they did actually. My dad, um, when I was very young, he did a lot more very criminal stuff and dependency. But by the time I graduated from high school, he was pretty firmly in the probate world.
1: That makes sense. So, I guess was it a Difficult decision when you went to law school, you know, and after you graduated, were you think like, okay, I don't know where I'm gonna go, you know, or were you always like, okay, you know, I think, you know, the the estate planning and and, and probate conservatorship world is probably where I'm gonna end up, or is that a decision that you made later on?
2: Well, the decision I made later on, like when I first graduated, I actually did like dependent civil dependency work. Okay. Helping, you know, uh, family conflicts, children requiring assistance in schools, and after about a year of that, I was I was more interested in moving into probate. And just because it just seemed like um, I didn't have the best experience of family law. Well I just felt like no one ever walked away happy. No one ever felt like you know the resolution really met their needs. And I feel like in probate, you had not most of the time everyone's not happy, but I think everybody walks away feeling like there was some resolution there. That they can live with, which which seems to sit better than that it did in the family law world. So, that's kind of what helped me make that shift. That makes total sense. Thank you,
1: thank you for sharing that. Now, um, there's other fascinating things about you that I want to ask you because I'm so I'm so interested. You speak Spanish, and you you end up uh, spending some time in 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 Mexico, in Spain. How did that?
2: When did that happen? Was that before law school? After law school? Uh, before law school, I was an international relations major, oh, okay. um, and part of my major was to take a second language, and I just kind of kept on with Spanish. I really fell in love with it, and then I I went to Mexico, and I, I interned in, at El Universal, the newspaper, and then I went to Spain, and then after I graduated, I said, you know what? I really think I could polish up on my language skills, so I said I'm going to spend some more time there. I worked in the schools, and it's just really rewarding I still use it I mean I live in Los Angeles so I have right. yeah. <laughs> plenty of opportunity plenty but of um, opportunity. it's nice yeah. to connect with people you know and connect with people in their own native language' it's always really pleasant
1: that's wonderful uh, and and in our city uh, it's a definitely an underserved community when it comes to estate planning uh, mm-hmm. because a lot of the um a lot of the properties that I end up selling are um you know from people that didn't make any estate plans. You know, trust sales are much easier to do, you know, when you go through probate. So that's great that there are people out there who can serve people, you know, in in, in Spanish, which is which is awesome and, and somewhat rare. Um, I wanted to ask you something else now. I have, a li- this is how I end my shows all the time. So I have a list of 30 questions and I want you to pick a random number. So you'll be responsible for the question that I ask you <laughs> between one and 30. Seven. All right, seven. What sound or noise do you love?
2: I have to say, I guess my kids, like that, the baby voices, like I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and it's just like, I always think like my heart's going to break when their voices change, but it's just yeah. so sweet.
1: <laughs> I agree 100%. One of the things that I say all the time is that when I come home and I open the door and I say, Papa is home, that sound of tun 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 tun, tun, tun which is the Peter I have four little kids. The pitter Patter of their when they're coming, that is my favorite sound in the universe. <laughs> I
2: know. It, it's really rewarding. I love it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Wow, you so you that's that's great. You are a mother of two. You have a career, and we haven't mentioned this to the audience. But you run your own firm, which is Holloway and Kimberlin LLP. So another important thing that I want everybody to know is: what is the best way when somebody needs to hire you? What is we have we will have your contact info in our show notes. But you know, for those who are just listening, what is the best way to reach you? Email. Okay, perfect. Rancer <laughs> right there. Email. Do you want to read
2: it? Read out your email for for our audience. Sure. Yeah, it's very long, so I'll just make it easier. Uh, T is in Tom, A is in Apple, M is in Mary, I is in Isaac, E is in Elliot, L is in Larry, at Holloway, H O L L O W A Y, Kimberly, K I M B E R L I N dot com.
1: Perfect. Uh- uh, thank you so much, Tamil. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, you've been, you've provided so much, so many interesting information uh, for our audience. So I'm very grateful for that. And um, we look forward. I will probably, you know, you've been um, so well, at, you're so good at explaining things that maybe, you know, I'll reach out and we'll have you back on the show at some point.
2: No, thank you so much. I would love to.
1: Of course. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to The Probate Realtor Show. Find more episodes and interact with us at probaterealtor.la. That's probaterealtor.la. Listen, ask questions, and get results. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The probate realtor Matias Baker-Mazzucci is a licensed real estate broker in California DRE number 02054763. Any legal information provided is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. Contact an attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal issue or problem. We make no guarantees as to the accuracy of any information. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.